0: One year, I kind of got an idea, you know, I want trap. I like to trap, I like to make lure, and I like to write where can it go from here. They would be able to spend more time in the woods.
1: I was losing money handling fish traffic, but
0: I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got two deferred ones, like this
1: is Northern Michigan, this is what you do. Represent Dave Draper in a positive light. I'm gonna ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This is what I
0: can Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volume, the perfect and game magazine. Instruction from Perigo Goldman. Perk Lennon's articles of Perk Lennon. ads, to information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important.
1: Alright, everybody listen to the Develop a system yet. Because so to work it ahead of time. To build big trappers. If you've got variables, the same as the characters,
0: you've got Bob he started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best hunting country in the world. I don't know, Get better. to set predator trash
1: and trash waiter. The back of that beaver looks like a, a sheer. You better edit this part out. Yeah, it was better. Back in the fur shed. This is trapping today. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Thank you for listening in. Great to have you here. We're brought to you by Cotts Brothers Lures. K A A T Z E R O S dot com. Trap smarter. Work harder, enjoy the success that follows. If you need anything for the trap line, go to cotspros.com, check them out. They've got what you need and get your supplies while you can because they are going fast. Also brought to you by OnX Maps. Use your phone as a GPS on the trap line. Mark your trap locations. Scout using aerial imagery. Uh, Very easy to use app and get all landowner information. Um, I mean, it's just an incredible resource to have mark those trap locations you can run your routes or run tracks and everything so uh, it's great to have especially when you're bouncing around a lot of places and want to know where you're at want to know where remember where you set your traps and also figure out whose land you're on and maybe do a little scouting on places that you can't quite see from the road and you as a listener of this podcast can use the promo code TRAP T-R-A-P at onxmaps.com to get 20% off of your first purchase and for uh those of you that we did renew the onyx promo code for another year and everything was good to go however there was a little glitch i guess they didn't get it updated in time and someone emailed me and said that they did uh the the code trap did not work for them and uh however they called up onyx and they did get the 20 percent off so that was good to hear and um they supposedly have it fixed now but I obviously can't try it. I already got the app I, I can't uh, log in and try the promo code so um, anyway if anybody does have any further issues with that absolutely contact me or contact them or both and we'll get that straightened out and we are also brought to you by Moyle mink and Tannery send your fur to get tanned by the professionals so What are you going to do with your fur? You you know how the fur market is right now. Everything is kind of in the tank. A lot of stuff is not selling. It's not really a good time to get rich by selling raw fur. However, um, if you have those items that you want preserved for the long term, you need to get them tanned. Whether it's going to be wall hangers or it's something that you want to use to to make some stuff out of um, or you want to sell tanned fur. I mean, you got to get them tanned and might as well have it done by the pros. Moyle Mink's been in the business for decades. They do an incredible job at a very reasonable price. So get over to Moyle.net, M-O-Y-L-E.net, and let them know I sent you info, I-N-F-O, at Moyle.net uh, to contact Moyle, uh, Ryan and Kari Moyle there, and uh, let them know, hey, even if you don't have any fur to send right now, or if you've already been a customer, hey, thanks guys for supporting the podcast. It's great to to have them on, and I hope to continue to have them on as an advertiser, as a sponsor. It's uh, it's good. So, speaking of tan fur, I do have some uh, still for sale in the Trapping Today store, and I just sent some of my beaver pelts to Josh Fisher up in Alaska, who is the our in-house expert fur sewer. And he does an incredible job with stuff. uh, And he's going to make some mitts. And we're even thinking about maybe putting a pair or two of mitts up on the Trapping Today store for you guys if anybody is interested in those. They're not going to be cheap, but they're going to be good. I can guarantee you that. Um, And let's see. we got a bunch of stuff tonight. It's going to be a good episode, I think. Um, uh, One of the things you might notice right off the bat is I'm a little bit louder. So I, I actually had... I switched mics, and I I switched some equipment around, and I was still kind of getting used to uh, making it sound right, and I think I was a little bit quiet uh, on the quiet side, so I turned up the levels, tried to get them up without uh, having a bunch of distortion or anything and uh, just kind of adjusting the level of the sound and the distance of the mic from my mouth and all that, so hopefully we got got it figured out, and if not, hey, I'll try next episode and we'll try to get better every time. It is a learning experience, and this is like, one. I I feel like this whole deal is just one big bunch of learning experiences sometimes and uh, trying to figure things out as you go. You don't know everything right from the start, so trying to, you know, the trapping thing is a lot of fun, and, and you put a lot of time into that and enjoy it and have a blast and everything else, and you learn along the way, but... I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I don't sit up at night trying to figure out uh, the specifics on audio uh, technical stuff and figure out how to properly make a sound recording and <laughs> how to mix audio, and I also don't sit up at night trying to figure out how to properly ship items from the Trapping Today store, and that's a mistake I made this week, so I had a couple of Trapping Today coffee mugs. That I shipped to customer and they were broken. So the handle handles were broken off of them. And what I should have realized initially was that, hey, uh, you send anything to U.S. Postal Service, it's going to get bounced around. And it's probably going to have a bunch of stuff stacked on top of it and everything else. And I had a bunch of padding and, and stuff wrapped around the mugs and then had them inside cardboard box, which was probably not a strong enough box. So... I rectified that situation, but if if you did, I sent emails to everybody who has ordered a mug just to make sure if uh, if there's any damage, I'm going to send you a new one to replace it, and I have uh, ordered a bunch of hard, heavy-duty uh, mug, specialty coffee mug shipping uh, containers, so that'll be good. It's going to raise the price of the mugs, though. I mean, I'm not making much on, on them to begin with, so um, I, the I'm going to... I actually the mugs are off the store now, so you can't buy them for a little while until I actually get these shipping uh, con- containers in, and then I'll put them back up. I may bump the price up a couple of bucks because it'll be all said and done. I'll be close to eight dollars. I'll be seven fifty plus just to ship a flipping coffee coffee mug. <laughs> so it's pretty amazing how how much things are increasing in price, and you saw that with Cotsbros. Raising the price, uh, it looks like TS-85s are going up, lure baits going up, all that stuff. So it's just kind of the world we're living in right now. And I think it's going to get way, way worse before it gets better. So we'll just have to figure out how to live with it. Um, interesting fact of the week. I actually, <laughs> I was at the dump this morning getting rid of my garbage. And I ran into an old timer from, uh, from town, and uh, who, who I know fairly well. But as far as I know, he's never, I don't think he's ever set a trap in his life. Definitely not a trapper. And he said he's found my podcast. He's listening in. So how cool is that? Um, yeah, I, I have had a few of those people that don't trap at all. And, and I have just kind of randomly found the, the show. and, and are, He said, I trapped with you all winter long. So that was great. It's great to have people along because, you know, not all of us are going to be out there setting traps every day. Um, and it's kind of cool sometimes, even if you can't experience it, to, to sort of uh, experience it through other people. So thank you uh, for listening in, uh, and, and all of you, even if you don't trap. I want to send a quick shout out for you guys who know Jim Furman up in Alaska, my friend there who I trapped with and who has been on the show. Um, I have kind of recently discovered, his, his son is a musician, Jim's son, Daniel Furman. He's a musician, and he is uh, very talented. So I kind of knew he did that sort of thing, but I didn't know he was that good, to be honest with you. And I somehow stumbled across it on, on the web, uh, his website and some of his music. And uh, it's it's like um, the the style is, I guess you they call it alternative folk music. So it's kind of like bluegrass folk sort of, vibe to it but it's more of like a modern style and uh, I don't know depending on what you listen to it's actually not the type of music that I typically would listen to but I, I have dabbled in it a little bit and it reminds me a little bit of the Avit Brothers if you guys have ever listened to that band they're kind of a, a similar style of music and and I don't listen to them all the time but when I'm in that mood you know they're I, I really enjoy it So if you go to Daniel Furman, F-I-R-M-I-N dot art dot A-R-T, he's he's an artist. Uh, He does a bunch of stuff there, but you click on music and you can find uh, more information about him and some links to some uh, YouTube videos and stuff that he's done. You can find, he's got a band called Feeding Frenzy and they're a a band out of Fairbanks, Alaska. And uh, listen to a couple of songs if you're interested. A guy whose father... Who grew up with a father in the Alaska bush trapping? So it's kind of a cool connection, sort of indirect connection for us uh, in the trapping community. Okay, now for the meat of tonight's episode, we so we do have a bunch of other stuff going on. We still have more from uh, Jeff Trainer from Fur Bear Conservation, but I'm not going to air that tonight. Uh, that'll be in sometime in the next couple weeks. I also had uh, a friend come over, a friend and also a listener of the podcast come over and we we had to send some beavers uh to a fur buyer out west and uh packaged them up together and stuff and I thought, what the heck, we're here in the fur show, we might as well record an episode. So, um we uh yeah, we i d- I haven't done much of that, you know, it kind of with COVID and we were we were distanced and and all that stuff, but um, we were able to manage making putting together a little podcast interview, and that'll be up at some point. Just a another neat perspective. I I think it'd be cool to have every trapper in the world on on audio at some point. It's kind of cool to hear all of the different experiences and how people got into it and the things that motivate them. So that was a lot of fun, and we'll, we'll probably air that at some point. Uh, but. Right now, like where I'm at in northern Maine, it's the early April and we have, we still have just under a month to go of beaver trapping season. And this is just the beginning of spring beaver trapping. And I thought in that light that we might want to talk about, or I want to talk about, uh, something that had to do with open water beaver trapping. So I'm going to talk tonight about foothold traps for beaver. And I've been wanting to do a rundown of this for quite a while now anyway. And so it's a good opportunity to do it. So for those of you who are not familiar with the area that I trap in, the reason we have a season that goes all the way to the end of April is because most years, we're still iced in uh, at least till, oh, close to the 15th of April. And some years we're almost, we're only a few days before May, uh, like the some of the recent years we've had, we've had really late springs. And it's been like April 20th uh, or so where you could actually just start trapping up here. You had enough open water to start trapping beaver in in open water. And actually just a little bit further north of me and west of me out in the woods, in the big woods, a little higher elevation. May 1st, the the last couple of years, you've been fully ice covered. And so you couldn't trap at all. And so we we do have this late season. But the key is you want to be able to get out there just uh, within... A week or or a few days, ideally, of when the, uh, you get open water. Uh, too much time in open water, and the pelts in the springtime, beaver are sitting out in the sun, and the pelts start to go bad. And they move around a lot. They fight with other beaver. They get chewed up and all that. So, um, the the sweet, the prime time is right as soon as you can after ice out or after there's enough open water to get the beaver out moving around. You get them caught, and uh, the pelts are still very prime. They're in excellent condition. And uh, you also have the advantage of being able to move around because of the lack of snow and the lack of ice to access all those beavers. So it's an interesting time of year. We In the past, traditionally, there was no spring season. It was the end of March. We were done. But because of the low trapper numbers and the high beaver numbers, we've had uh, sort of a You might call it a blessing in disguise, uh, where we have this really awesome long season. We can get after these beavers for uh, much longer than we we were able to do before. And because there's no money in it, there's no one out doing it except for a few guys, and those guys are having a blast. So I just before I started recording this podcast, uh, Billy Thompson actually gave me a call. Uh, He was... Uh, he's up here now. He just, just got up here in northern Maine and uh, getting ready to set some traps out, set a bunch of traps out tomorrow. So, if you don't remember Billy, he's. Uh, we did an interview with him. I think we ran three different episodes with him and Charlie Tucker. Uh, sometime, might have been a year ago. I can't remember when we ac- exactly did it. But, it. Was, I think it was less than a year, maybe. So, anyway, that, that was, uh, you can go back and listen to those, but he, he just loves he just loves this spring beaver trap, and he, he, he lives for it. and So he's going to be going crazy, him and another guy. He actually might even have a guy coming up just to skin for him, and we'll, we'll have uh, a chance to hopefully sit down and, and do another podcast with him and maybe with some other people uh, surrounding the, the spring beaver trapping uh, crew. And one of the unique things that I find with, with these few guys up here that are really trapping spring beaver in a big way, um, it's mostly, you know, Billy's attitude that I'm just, uh, it's really refreshing. Because uh, him and and a lot of the guys I think kind of follow, follow in suit and are similar in that they're competitive, but they're not jealous and they're not greedy. Uh, they just really love trapping for the sake of trapping and catching fur. And so it makes it a lot of fun because you're not worried about stepping on each other's toes. And if there's a, a road crossing and one guy has a trap on one side of it, another guy might just skip it. And if he doesn't need a trap there, he might skip it and go on down the road and be happy that another guy's get a chance to trap it. Or he might put in a trap on the other side of the culvert or the other side of the stream and say, Hey, let's see who can catch the beaver first. And just sort of a friendly competitive way of, of trapping. Um, But, but at the same time, kind of encouraging each other, helping each other out. And like Billy always says, he likes competition because it makes you a better trapper. And that's a lot of fun. And it doesn't take much more than one or two jerks to screw that up and make it not fun. But uh, we got, you know, Lately, we've had a pretty good thing going, in spite of it. Really, because of the low fur prices, and in the sense that the people who who are doing it are doing it because they love it, not for the money. And you get a different breed. uh, That that's still left trapping. So, anyway, uh, my plans. I'm really not sure. I never seem to be able to hammer out my plans when it comes to this stuff. Uh, I I I always have ideas, and then I I realize that I sort of uh, had more plans than I had time. To complete, so I'm trying to keep that in check a little bit. Um, I know with a full-time job, uh, I, and I I don't have a bunch of time to take off from work. I have very little to take off right now, uh, so I have I am not going to be able to compete with or run with th- these guys that are that are doing at least 100 miles a day, uh, checking and setting beaver traps and running all over the place. However. Uh, there are a lot of beaver in this area that can be accessed that these guys are not going to go after at all. Um, there's, a, there's a few road crossings that I'll probably hit. But I have a couple of places in mind that are way quite a ways off the road that are difficult to access. And they take so much time that it's not an efficient way to catch beaver. Um, but the fact is, I don't need to be the most efficient trapper in the world. I don't even need to be efficient at all. I need to have fun um, and catch a little bit of fur while I'm at it. Uh, try different things, try to learn and become a better trapper. And so that's kind of what I'm thinking is fewer areas, fewer lodges, um, flowages, uh, and uh, a little more walking, maybe get myself in a little better shape. And so I, I've been working on something where, and I, I do have these, I, I have uh, you know three or four beaver flowages that uh, I couldn't get to this winter for various reasons. That are quite a ways off the road, and if you don't have a snowmobile, you're gonna be walking a fair bit to get to them. And I think I'm gonna try it. I'm I'm gonna go to at least one or two of them and and try my hand at catching some of those beaver, realizing that it's not gonna be very efficient, but that's gonna be okay. I'm all right with that. Um, it's part of the it's part of the adventure of trapping, I think. And and there's nothing wrong with being in shape. However, there's one thing that there's there is something wrong with what I'm about to tell you there's something wrong with the pack baskets that we use as trappers. Um, If you go and if you look on any trapping supply company's website or you you pull up F&T's catalog they have just about everything that you can find in the trapping industry and they have two types of pack baskets. You have your standard uh, old-school ash wood pack basket uh, woven from uh, strips of ash and that have these little narrow, unpadded straps, polypropylene straps that dig into your shoulders and are absolutely terrible to carry anything with. They're essentially pack baskets that can hold a bunch of stuff and are gonna tear apart your body if you try to carry that much stuff or anywhere near it. And that's what I've been doing. So I have, uh, the, this fall, I did some trapping a little ways away from the road and for guys that follow my Instagram, I had some pictures there where I actually I actually ended up getting a game cart, borrowing a game cart, and carting beaver to my truck because I had some areas that there there were like behind behind gates or place places where there were like roads there, but you couldn't drive them with pickup, but but it was pretty easy walking. And so after a few trips of hauling traps and and gear, and also hauling in. And then hauling beaver out and just being, you know, one time I had uh, a bunch of gear and a 50-pound beaver on my in the pack basket. And those straps digging up my shoulders for a quarter mile, um, maybe a little more than that. And I was carrying a 40 to 50-pound beaver uh, in my arms at the same time. And I realized that that was not something that I wanted to do. <laughs> for very much longer and so there's got to be ways that we as trappers can have a more enjoyable time um, getting off of the road getting away from the vehicle and uh, bringing our gear in and our animals out and so I, I there's no excuse for this because we've this industry has been around for a long time there have been advancements in so many advancements in the backpacking uh, industry the hunting industry where you can get a pack um, with incredibly comfortable shoulder straps, uh, waist belt, and everything just kind of ergonomically designed where you can carry between 50 and 100 pounds easily with with uh, very little discomfort. And you can do it for long distances and steep terrain, steep ground. And so there's no reason we can't do it in the trapping industry. The only problem is those traditional hunting packs have, there's two issues with them. One they, either they, um, they're packs that are designed with clothes tops and they're like fabric type, certain types of fabric that they're made out of. They're not designed for carrying animals in and, and they're not designed for, for having a bunch of tools and wire and pliers and trap setters and traps uh, and constantly pulling things in and out of like you would with a, with a standard pack basket. Um, and the other problem is they're extremely expensive. They're four or $500 a piece. So, they're kind of out of that that realm of, um, of out of reach for a lot of us everyday average guys and gals. Um, So, I tried to, I'm trying to kind of create something for myself here that is going to work. And I told you guys I had some projects I was working on. Well, this is one of the projects. So, I tracked down some high quality backpacking straps and uh, shoulder straps and uh, waist belt. And I have... Found uh, a semi-suitable, um, pack sort of container. I'll <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Uh, think of the traditional fiberglass trapper, uh, pack basket. That is the, the one model that's sold by every trapping supply company. Um, it is, uh, I think it's made in Iowa and it, um, it, it, it seems to serve a purpose, but it doesn't work for me. I don't like it. I don't like the shape of it. I don't like the design. Um, but I, I, I found something similar to that that is not used in any type of outdoor industry. It's actually it's actually a container that is designed to hold uh, like sugar and flour and large uh, quantity food items. <laughs> so anyway, I have uh, sort of retrofitted some really high quality backpacking um Straps and all—all uh, all of that sort of setup onto this essentially plastic box, and it's gonna be the—it's gonna be my trapper pack basket for this spring beaver trapping, for whatever amount I end up doing. And uh, I hopefully I can tweak it a little bit and see how it works. I actually wanna—I wanna do a different size of container of, of basket, and there's a bunch of different features that I. I'd like to have on it, but um, nobody makes it. Nobody makes anything like that. So y- it's it's one of those things where it, you can't really, you can't just have something custom molded for less than like $10,000 because you got to have the mold built and you got to go through a factory and all that stuff. So if I do find out, find something that really works, maybe I'll, I'll do something where, where it could be sold in the trapping industry and it would make it worth, you know, I'd be able to get what I need and also be able to pay for it. Um, but other than that, I'm gonna just play around with this prototype and see how it works out. Um, if it does work out well, I think a lot of you guys are really gonna want something like this. If we could do something that where it's somewhat of a reasonable price, it, I mean, it's still gonna be, you know, it'll be over 200 bucks. I, I think uh, it's gonna it's almost gonna have to be. Um, but if you look at your traditional pack basket, is between 70 and and uh, 100 and they don't leave the truck because they're incredibly uncomfortable you just can't really use them other than put them in the truck or put them on the front of the four-wheeler so we'll see how that goes I'm looking forward to using this more and seeing uh tweaking it and sort of seeing if I can make something work where I can get out of the truck go a couple hundred yards and have as much gear as I need and not have to worry about hauling things back and forth and still being comfortable and not all Played out at the end of the, the trip, so and be able to go further and go more places. And with that, let's talk about beaver trapping footholds. So, there's a lot of different directions that you can go with this. Um, basically, uh, you can be you can catch a beaver, uh, and we're talking footholds tonight, so you know, we could talk a lot of people, the majority of the beaver that they catch. They're using body grip traps. They're using 330s, maybe some 280s. And they do well, and they catch the majority of their beavers with that. But um, it, there, there is a place for foothold beaver trapping. Um, it is extremely valuable, and it's especially valuable. The reason why we're doing it, this episode right now is because in the spring season, the foothold trap is incredibly valuable for the beaver trapper. The reason for that is, especially here in Maine, and uh, primarily because we, our, our 330 body grip traps here in Maine are legally required by law to be set completely submerged by water, so they could be completely underwater. So it limits the places where we can make these sets. Um, a foothold trap has to be submerged, obviously, but it's much easier. You can submerge a foothold trap in two inches of water. Um, And if you make a set where you direct an animal toward uh, a specific uh, lure or bait, um, you can easily get them to step on a foothold where it can be very difficult to get them to go through a 330. It's especially difficult when that 330 is completely submerged by water. So you you really have a hard time to funnel them into a spot where they're going to swim through that trap. Um, it's not that hard to get them to step on top of a trap. So footholds are real valuable. And we know in the spring season that you can draw a beaver from a much longer distance. The beavers are very active this time of year. They've been under the ice for six months or more and they're real excited because they finally can be free of their under ice prison for the winter and they can access all kinds of food that they haven't been able to access for months. And they are kind of, um, you know, the, it's it's that season where the females are getting ready to have kits, and they're probably kicking some young out if things are quite crowded. Um, it's an, a time of year where everybody is reestablishing their territories, and as those kickouts are moving around, they are encountering new territories. And so... All the beaver that have an established territory are moving around to the edges of those territories and they're marking their spots. Hey, this is mine. Don't come near this area. Just keep swimming, buddy. Keep swimming. Go downstream. Go upstream. Go to the next uh, area that, that there's not another beaver in and, and you could set up shop there. But I found this spot and this is uh, it's, it's a good spot and we're going to keep it. It's ours. We've defended it for a long time. And so there's a lot of territoriality going on. Um, Beaver are very responsive to scent. So if a beaver is patrolling his territory and it smells, if you put out a caster mound set and it smells the the caster of another beaver, it's going to beeline, go straight to that spot and investigate it, figure out what's going on. So you can bring beaver in from a very long distance and you can be very effective this time of year. So, the foothold works nicely. Now, you can catch a beaver in a number two Victor square jaw trap. Yes, you can catch a beaver in a 1.75. You can catch a beaver in an MB 550. I had a guy uh, comment on a YouTube video I did. I, I did a uh, review of the TS-85 beaver trap. And th- this guy was kind of laughing. And he said, this is ridiculous. Um... You don't need that big of a trap to catch a beaver. Beaver's foot's no bigger than a coon foot, um, and and in some, so the guy's sort of right. If you look at the front foot of a beaver, he's right. A front foot of a beaver can fit into any number two or even one and three quarter trap. So technically, yes, you can catch a beaver in that small of a trap. Now, are you are you okay with? I can possibly get this done. This could possibly happen. Or do you want the maximum number of animals that you, that you can catch to be caught? Do you want to go and check your trap every morning and have a 50% chance that that trap might be sprung off and nothing's been caught in it, and then suddenly you educated a beaver and it's not going to go near that set again, and you're not going to catch it? Is that what you want, just to be able to say that you uh, caught him in a small trap? And if you look at the hind foot of a beaver, the hind foot of a beaver is significantly... Larger than any other animal that we trap. Um, with the exception of, of maybe maybe uh, some unique circumstances. That hind foot of the beaver is massive. And it takes a big trap to catch a beaver fully, get a good hind foot catch on him. Um, not only does it take a big trap to wrap around the foot, front or hind, of a beaver. But you also, by increasing the uh, area, the jaw spread of that trap... By using a larger trap with a bigger jaw spread, you are increasing the chances that when a beaver comes into your set, that its foot is going to go down in between jaws of the trap. And yes, you can if you're really good and you know exactly how that beaver is going to approach the set, and you can place guide sticks at just the right area. Um, you technically could get a beaver to go within a two-inch radius uh, and place the paw down right in that spot. That's in a perfect world. And the the experience that I've had beaver trapping, nothing works out as planned, almost nothing. If you do have something, a case like that, where that beaver steps exactly where you were and the conditions are just perfect, that is a rare thing. And it, it's, a, it's an exception to the rule. It's an exception to what normally happens. Um... We have situation here where the water level can fluctuate between 6 and 12 inches every 24 hours. It can go up with rain and snow melt and it can go down when, when you don't have those conditions and it's just steadily dropping. We have uh, wind. We have snow. We have ice. Free, things freeze up. You can have a beaver come in and approach the set from a completely different area, maybe the wind was blowing a different direction, maybe uh, something caused the beaver to go up on shore uh, in a different spot, and it comes down and approaches your set from the backside. There are just a thousand different things that can happen, and uh, nothing is perfect. And so for me as a trapper, I want to just increase my odds, and I'm going to do things the way I think and hope is the right way, Um, but I'm going to do everything I can to increase my odds. And so I think uh, as a general rule, we can Hopefully, most of us can agree that a, a larger jaw spread is is better for beaver trapping. So you can catch a beaver in a number two or a number three, and I'm, I'm not going to recommend those traps whatsoever uh, with beaver trapping. Um, the other thing is you can design on these smaller jaw traps that I'm going to talk about. They, they may be ideal uh, front foot uh, catch beaver sets. But you can set everything perfectly for a front foot and the water rises up and you catch that beaver in the hind foot. And if you have that number two set for a front foot catch and the beaver uh, approaches it and it steps down on, on the pan with a hind foot, uh, like I said before, there's a fairly good chance that you're going to miss that beaver. Uh, you could catch it, but you, you may not. And if you're interested in, in more information on that, I think I did a podcast episode on front versus hind foot, and I also prob I did an article on trappingtoday.com. You can just search for that, and, and it should show up. So, uh, number four, coil spring trap. Uh, well, I'm going to run through these traps, and basically, j- just to you know, for the foothold traps, we're going to have uh, our jump traps, our long spring traps, and our coil spring traps. And I'll start probably with the the jumps and the in the long springs, and uh, and then we'll move on to the coil springs just to kind of make it a little simpler. So the uh, the long springs and the jumps are both these kind of really old school traditional type uh, of traps that have been used forever um, and are not really used that much anymore. Let's let's start with the uh, the long spring trap. And so the long spring trap, anything above like a, a number 11 or bigger is uh, going to be a double long spring. So it means there's a spring on each side and there are those uh, long, flat leaf spring type uh, of setups. Uh, one on each side that you push down, push straight down on to open the jaws of the trap. Um, they they were, I think they were traditionally just, they, they were initially... One of the first designs, um, maybe the first design of, of a trap, they were the old school bear traps that the mountain men had and the beaver traps they had were, were the long spring design. And they they worked and they still work. They, they worked for a very long time. Actually, when I was up in Alaska with Jim, uh, they still use those number four double long spring traps for lynx and wolverine. They're very, very uh, popular. Uh, I don't know if that's just a lot of tradition or if it's, they're they're still quite cost effective, um, or they're they're very they're an effective trap. They work quite well. They they bed easily. They have um, they're slow. They are a fairly slowly firing trap, but once they once they come up, they have they have um, pretty good leverage on them, and so once those traps uh, have been fired and the springs come up, uh, I don't care what you do or how hard you push against those jaws, you're not getting those jaws back open without depressing the springs. They just lock, they lock up really nicely. It's kind of the, it's something to do with um, the way the spring eyes kind of uh, slide up and down along the the jaws and those thin spring eyes just kind of lock in and they don't slide very easily once they've they've, uh, kind of uh, created that little bit of lock up uh, when the jaws start to close. And so they are an effective trap. Uh, again, like I said, they're slow. Um, underwater, they're, they makes them even slower. But they do work. Um, they they are still used. But nobody makes a, a double double spring trap uh, that a four or a five really that has a heck of a big jaw spread. And so. Uh, and and even with the jaw spread that you do have, you add the jaw spread with the, uh, the two long springs. And especially when you're beaver trapping in like in a river with steep banks, you got to be able to bed that trap down And a lot of times you got to dig your own platform for the trap. And the, uh, the double long spring, the bigger double long spring traps, just take a lot of space, and so you almost have to have a little mini excavator in there to make yourself a a spot to put the to set the trap up nicely. So, uh, yes, they do work, but they do have their disadvantages as well. Moving on to the jump traps, uh, jump traps, uh, unlike the long springs, which the long springs are actually still made. Sleepy Creek was the last company that was still making long spring traps. They were made here in America. Sleepy Creek kind of went out of business. However, I believe someone down south has bought that company, and I assume they're still making those traps. So uh, if they're not, they will be quite soon. So stay tuned for that, but those should still be available. Unlike those, the, um, the jump traps are no longer made, and they haven't been made for quite a long time. The reason for that is I don't think there's anything that a jump trap can do that a coil spring trap can't do better. And and so the the coil spring traps replaced the jumps quite a while back, and the only jumps that we do have are the old, mostly the old Oneida Victor traps that have been around forever and were the best beaver trap around in their day. And a lot of guys still use them, and I still use them for under-ice beaver trapping, and, and we'll get into that here. But uh, a, number, a number three or number four jump trap will catch beaver. Um, if you haven't seen the jump, just do a quick YouTube search. Uh, there's some videos on there or, or a Google search. But it's basically just a, like a single flat spring that's underneath the jaws, underneath the pan, um, and extends to one side. And you push down on that flat spring and opens up the jaws, and you set the trap. So the the, uh, the the four, the three and four jumps, that you know, they're the only thing they're really used for nowadays. I mean, I maybe some guys coyote trap with them, but they're, they do have a lot of disadvantages. And uh, it's hard to believe that a coil spring trap wouldn't beat those in any land trapping um, situation. Guys in Alaska that are lynx trapping do still use some of these. And uh, under ice beaver guys and some open water beaver trappers as well do, do kind of use them. They, so the three is a little too small. I, I really wouldn't use it personally. Uh, I don't, I don't think it's appropriate for, for beaver trapping myself, but some people might use it. The four is about the right size. Um, the problem with these is what the, the, they're old traps. Okay. They're really old traps. The, the spring setup, the way, the way that spring works is it's fairly slow. Also, when the, when the animal depresses the pan on these jump traps and the spring fires, the spring goes right up underneath the pan. And if the pan size is a little bit big on the big... You can't use a big pan. And actually, you see a lot of these old jump traps... Where people cut the pans way down, like to half or a third of the size, and I think that's part of the reason is so that the the spring doesn't come up and hit the pan. Now, ideally, in most cases, the 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 spring's going to come up, and by the time it hits the pan and pushes the animal's foot back up out of the trap, the jaws have closed enough to cat to make the catch. But uh, there's no question there's situations where um, that has not that has not worked effectively. Um, the other thing with those jump traps is the springs over time they do get weak with a lot of use and you can't replace them um there's really you can pound on them on a vise and try to try to get them to where you get a little more strength out of them and bend them up a little more but really when those springs get weak there's no way of replacing them you got to basically get rid of the trap and replace get a new trap so like i buy a bunch of used traps and i'll get in a bunch of um 14 jumps, and they, I, I just go through and I set them all, and the ones that have really strong springs, I keep for my under ice beaver trapping, and the ones that are weak, I sell them on eBay or somewhere else as sort of a collector, collector's item, because they are a pretty cool trap, so we'll get into that, uh, the The other thing with the number four jump and the number three jump is uh, they don't have a whole lot of holding power relative to the modern day traps. And they don't make a very high catch um, for the reasons that I talked about just a minute ago. They are about a 7 inch inside jaw spread which I think is a little bit on the small end for beaver. Um, it's, it's pretty close. If you're under ice and you've got a baited set and you, that beaver is using your trap to step on as a platform. Then yeah you can easily get them. They're going to see the pan and they're going to want to put their foot on the pan to get to the bait. But in an open water situation, uh, it, it just not. It, they're not as good. Um, the the 3 and 4s, that with that lower holding power, and you may not get a perfect catch, beavers can pull out of them, especially if the, the springs are a little bit weak. The number 14 jump is essentially, it's not essentially, it is a number 4 with teeth added. And um, don't get all crazy when you hear teeth, um, because we've been kind of conditioned as uh, society to hear about these jaw traps with teeth on the jaws and they're these evil torture devices and it's not exactly true and so um, these it's hard to describe these quote-unquote teeth they're called teeth but they're they're more like um, they're more like points okay they're like uh, they're welded on to the jaws, the inside of the jaws of the trap, and there are these points that are that are uh, round and tapered like a cone, um, and they do not cut, they do not slice. What they do is they they um, they puncture, or they may not even puncture, but they dig in and they hold. And so, it, interestingly enough, um, they're years ago there was a study done on uh, wolf traps because there there were some research projects where uh, wildlife biologists were capturing wolves and they were uh, they were trying to determine what the most effective trap was to to capture the wolves and to uh, to be able to relocate them and collar them and everything and not have foot damage and uh, I can't you can't quote me on this because I don't remember the details of the study but one of the takeaways I remember was the trap with a couple of teeth on it, quote-unquote teeth, was actually the uh, one of the most humane, quote-unquote humane traps in the study. And the reason for that was um, when the trap closed on the animal's foot, uh, they had one or two puncture points where the quote-unquote tooth dug into the paw. But because that those were there, the animal's foot was not able to move inside of the trap. And uh, the other, uh, certain other traps, they were able to rub back and forth. And that rubbing on the inside of the jaws of the trap is what caused uh, sort of uh, some small lacerations on the paw and kind of breaking of the skin. And so they were more concerned that maybe, you know, the. His foot would become infected or something like that. But with the puncture wound, they found that the, the foot could not move. And because of that, they couldn't uh, cause any further damage to themselves. And so when they pulled the, the trap off the animal's foot and took care of everything and released them, that little tiny puncture wound is the only thing that had to heal. And the animal walked away and was fine. And so, so let's not get too excited about the, the quote-unquote teeth on the 14 jump. Um... It basically what these do is hold that animal's foot so it cannot move around in that trap. And it, it's a very, very effective trap in terms of holding. I don't know I don't know how a beaver would pull out of one of those. I, I really don't. And so so it's a good trap in terms of that. Um, if the springs are strong, it's hard to beat. It is a little bit small with that seven inch inside jaw spread. Uh, that's not ideal for spring trapping. Some people legally are not allowed to use these. And so you may not, um, depending on your state, check your regulations, it may not be legal. Um, uh, but they, they seem to me to have a little more of a winter application. They do work in the spring in, in some cases. And one thing I, I should mention that I probably ought to have mentioned earlier is on these foothold beaver sets, you know, you could be checking these every 24 hours and make sure uh, that you know if you want the animal alive in the set or whatever, uh, that that could be you know that could be workable. But the vast majority of the time, what we're trying to do uh, in spring open water beaver trapping is have these animals dead within two minutes. So with uh with the the coniber, obviously it's pretty easy you're, they're they're uh, a killer trap so they're going to be dead immediately but uh with the foothold trap you we we're setting those on drowning wires and we're getting that animal down underwater and uh and we're getting it killed uh asap so uh you if if you're thinking in terms of uh, you know animal um Welfare and wanting to make sure. It, obviously, we should all be wanting to inflict the least least amount of pain that we possibly can, while still still doing an effective job to harvest these animals that need to be harvested. Um, it, in this case, it's not exactly. Uh, you may not need to think so much about animal welfare if the animal is going to be dead in two minutes. Um, yes. Its, its foot might get a little scuffed up, but it's going to be dead before it even notices it. So um, just putting trying to put things into perspective a, a little bit. And that's why you can get away with kind of some more aggressive traps uh, in, in the case of, of the, uh, the, the foothold beaver situation. So that's the 14 and the 4. Now let's move away from the long spring and the jump traps and talk about coil spring traps. So these are pretty much everything that's being manufactured today, that's being used for the most part today, is gonna to be in this class. And we are, are gonna uh, talk about just the, sort of the more popular traps that are used specifically that are made for beaver and are used for beaver uh, more than any other trap. So we're going to start with the Bridger number five coil spring trap. Now this trap is uh, manufactured by Minnesota Trapline Products, and it is a um, it has a seven and a quarter inch inside jaw spread, so it's a little bit bigger than those number four and number fourteen jump traps. It's a pretty standard trap. I believe they come uh, four coiled, so so they're a pretty strong trap, um, but it's going to have. The, uh similar levers, similar uh, jaw steel um, and pan steel and everything and base plate, all that's going to be similar to the other Bridger traps like the 2, the 3, and the 4. So that's pretty much what you're going to uh, expect when you get the Bridger 5. As such, it's one of the, the most uh, more cost effective traps in the, in the beaver foothold market. However, you're not going to get anything fancy with this. You're on the small end of the jaw spread with that seven and a quarter inches, and uh, you the trap is not going to be super heavy duty. Um, You're you're going to have that standard uh, pan with the dog on it. There are some potential issues associated with that, with the animals being able to hit the dog and fire the trap without getting caught and so on. Um, But it's pretty much your run of the mill trap. It's going to be. You know it's going to run like twenty, twenty-three dollars, something like that, and uh, it it it'll do the it'll do the job. But it, as we start to go through the rest of this lineup, you'll notice that there's a lot of other traps that'll do the job as well, and uh, and probably maybe maybe even do it better, uh, in my opinion. So moving on from the Bridger number five, um, we're going to go to two traps: the CDR and the MB seven hundred and fifty. The reason I mention these at the same time. Is these traps are are very very similar in a lot of ways. The first thing is they both have a seven and a half inch jaw jaw spread, so that's kind of in my opinion, just based on what we mentioned before, like with the objectives of this, trying to maximize the chance of getting that animal to step inside the jaws of the trap, I think a seven and a half jaw spread is minimum for for beaver trapping in in my opinion that that would be uh, my choice for open water beaver trapping, I wanna have at least a seven and a half inch jaw spread. Now some of you guys, depending on your state, are, this is gonna be like your maximum allowed jaw spread. Uh, you may have seven and a half or eight inch on the top end. So um, so this is what you're gonna have to use. So let's go into a little bit of the details here. These are both gonna come, uh, they're your standard, pretty much your standard coil spring traps. Same design as most other coil spring traps. Um, they they both come four coiled, so they're a very very strong trap. Um, the difference between the CDR and the F- the seven fifty, in terms of the uh, the levers, uh, the springs are pretty much the same, but the levers are a little different. The MB seven fifty has your standard levers. The CDR has wire levers, and the reason that that would even make a difference at all, is the, your your typical levers are going to be kind of like flat steel and they have a pretty wide surface area whereas the wire is just, all it is is, the, the width of the thing is is just the width of the wire. Um, I know I'm not describing that quite well and I can't think of any better words to, to tell you that but basically as you depress the levers, um, when you, the foot trap fires off, those levers have to come up through the water to raise up to where they close the trap and the the wire levers the only thing that's facing resistance from the water is is wires okay whereas the the 750 you're gonna have those levers that are that have a bunch of surface area of steel that's that's gonna have that uh, little bit of resistance not really a big difference I don't think Um, the the CDR has a -a positrip pan system and I really like this, and I'd l- someday I gotta get that Ed Medvetz on. He's the guy that designed the Positrip. Um, I actually took uh, the Positrip system and I put a bunch of those on on some of my 14 jump traps for uh, under ice beaver trapping because I liked it so much. Basically, what the Positrip system is, it uh, it it changes it, instead of the traditional pan where you have um, your standard dog, and then you have your pan that's attached to the pan post. And that pan may be able to wobble and move around all over the place. And sometimes it can be hard to adjust the tension on the pan and all that. The trip system is, uh, it, it, well, it's got a lot of different attributes to it. Um, but I'm tr- I'll try to go to the basic ones. The basic ones is um, the way the pan is set up, it's anchored at two points instead of one, and so the pan cannot wobble from side to side. Um, the pan cannot lean up and down either direction. It's basically got a good swing, uh, up or down, so the the animal can't push it to the side and trip the trap without stepping securely on the pan. The dog is a much upgraded dog. It's it's really super heavy duty. Um, they also, uh, the pan, instead of having a, a very, narrow surface area where the dog sits in it. The The pan has a super wide surface area, and it's it's really deep to where the dog can go. The pan can go up as far as you want it to go. And the the pan can come back down all the way to the edge of the dog before it fires the trap. So there's a lot of movement. The pan cannot move side to side. It cannot uh, lean, but it can move up and down uh further than any other pan that, that I know of and, and still have, still be engaged with the dog. So there's a lot of flexibility there, but not the bad flexibility, not the stuff you don't want. It's very, very functional. They also have like a night latch system on them where you, you can hear that click as soon as the, the trap. Um, I don't know if all of them have it, but the one, all the ones I've had have had it, um, to where you know exactly where that um, that pan is without even having to look at the distance from the pan between the pan and the dog. Um, it, it's almost like um, I have a Savage rifle, and they have this AccuTrigger system on the newer Savage rifles, which mine has. And you you kind of pull this pre-trigger before you get to the actual trigger, and you know exactly how far you have to pull that uh, before the rifle is going to fire. And it's very similar with the trap. You know exactly how much motion that pan is going to be able to go downward before that trap fires. So I really like that system. Uh, the CDR has it. Uh, one of the other things I did hear a Trapper mention that they really liked about that trip system is um, if depending on how you like to bed a trap with the CDR, you can lift that pan way, way up and you can actually get under with your boot and you can push down with your boot on the base of the trap underneath the pan. To bed that to bed that trap, and so you can bed it really solidly. And and I haven't used CDRs, so I don't have any experience with them. But I thought that was a pretty cool observation. Um, there's there's a lot of flexibility there. Um, the other big difference between the CDR and the the 750 is, of course, we've talked about this a million times. Uh, the CDR has a loose jaw like almost every other trap. The MB 750 has no loose jaw, so there is a lockdown system with these 750s where there's like a pin that goes uh, along, uh, across the, the trap underneath the pan, and uh, it locks down the loose jaw, so when the trap is set, the loose jaw cannot lift. Um, now, the reason for that feature is pretty obvious. The beaver cannot go underneath and flip that loose jaw up and and not get caught in the trap. And so, if, if a beaver is kind of... Uh, I guess it depends on on how you set it, but a beaver could be coming in from the loose jaw side, and somehow, maybe they're they're kind of moving and they're they're digging down under the ground and kind of moving their feet, and instead of s- sort of uh, stepping on the the pan, they step over by the jaw and they they with a little bit of movement of their foot, they could flip that jaw up, and then the next time they come down step on the pan, they don't get caught because the jaw is up. Uh, Around the out the uh, the other side of the pan, and and uh, the beaver is no longer stepping in the catch area. So that that is uh, that is the main feature of that 750. And there's no doubt that that results in in more catches of beaver for a lot of people. That that one feature, because that certainly is something that happens. That whole loose jaw getting flipped up. Is it enough of a feature that it outweighs the main uh, negative aspect of the 750, which is you got to set that trap with your hands in the danger zone. Inside, Your hands have to be inside of the jaws of that trap in order to get it set. And I'm extremely uncomfortable with that, <laughs> even if I have setters. I mean, if something slips... Uh, if something goes wrong and that, thing's, that thing goes off, your hand is right there to get caught. Um, every other trap, you got a loose jaw that you can flip up and you can work underneath it. Uh, and if the pan, if things fire, then the trap fires off and you don't get caught. Um, the, the 750 is the exception. So um, some people are willing to, to deal with that. And the 750 is a very popular beaver trap. It is rugged. It is a really heavy-duty trap. Um, it, it is... It, it works very well. That's an effective um, modification to to hold that loose jaw down. Personally, I don't I don't think it's worth the benefit. Um, but that's just my personal opinion and, and a lot of people would disagree with that. So anyway that that's the the CDR and the 750 both both really good traps. but now we're going to move into uh, what is my uh, favorite beaver trap for open water. You've heard me talk about this before many times. And it just so happens, and this is not the reason it's my favorite, by the way. Um, it just so happens that it's uh, distributed by our friends at Cotts Brothers Lures, the TS85. So the TS85 is a significantly larger trap than the CDR and the 750, in the sense that it has an eight and a half inch jaw spread. So that may not sound like a whole lot until you actually look at the traps side by side and you see how much more catch area you actually have with that 85. And if you do just a simple calculation, I know these numbers are not going to be exact, but if you took seven and a half inches by seven and a half inches, that uh, comes to a area of 56.25 inches. If you multiply eight and a half inches by eight and a half inches you come to an area of 72.25 inches. And so the inside area of that TS-85 is significantly larger. What that means is there's a larger area that that animal can step in and fire the trap and get caught. So I like it. The other difference with the TS-85 is it is only a two-coiled trap instead of a four-coiled. And you might say, well, two-coil is not as good. Well, the two-coiled, all other things being equal, the two-coiled is not going to be as strong. However, I kind of like that. Um, the the TS85 is incredibly easy to set because it's only a two-coiled trap. Um, the the levers you can push the levers down much easier than you can on any of these others. like the 750 and the CDR, you'd almost I think I, I wouldn't do them without setters. I think you, you almost have to have setters unless you're you're uh, much stronger than the average trapper. Uh, but the 85, I can set them on my knee. I can set them on the ground beside me. Uh, it's, it's much, much easier to set. So you might think, well, then you have a weaker trap. So you're going to have beaver pull out. And I will tell you that I've heard that, I've heard of people saying that they've had beaver pull out of TS-85. So I'm not going to say it's not a possibility. I'm not going to say it doesn't happen. Uh, it hasn't happened to me yet. And I haven't caught hundreds, but I've caught dozens and and it hasn't happened to me yet so i you know i'm i'm still liking these and i i haven't had any reason to to say that beaver could pull out of them except to say other people have had that happen and it is a possibility um what's the percentage of that i have no idea so th- there the the other factor to consider when you you look at the 85 is the way it's designed and the way that the jaw spread is incorporated into the design for all intents and purposes it doesn't need four coils and you, you could get it four coiled but it doesn't need it because the because of the the larger jaws the levers move much further up than other traps and when those levers move further up along along the jaws the outside of the jaws you get more leverage, and it's harder to open that trap back up. And so, because of the design of the trap and the increased leverage, the the two-coil design, even though it's really easy to set and it seems like, man, this trap could be a little stronger, it holds animals for that reason. Um, the the hind foot catches on this. I mean, it's just incredible. You can fit a full beaver's hind foot and have room to spare. Um, it, yeah, I, I just I really like the TS85. It is uh, it's it's heavy duty. It's it's rugged. It's built rugged, but it's also not like overly bulky or overly overly heavy. And so uh, for the price, um, there's typically around 26 bucks. Uh, that is probably going to go up, and all these are going to go up. Uh, by the way, 750 is about the same price, about 26 bucks. The CDR probably about the same. Might be a, maybe a little bit more right now. I don't know. I haven't bought any. Um, but that's pretty much what you're looking at. But uh, yeah, I, the T. I really like the TS85, and I think it's really hard to beat right now if it is legal to use in your state. If you got to go under that, the the 750, if you don't mind the the loose jaw issue, and uh, the CDR. Man, the more I talk about it, the more I, I look into it. I think that'd be a pretty cool trap to try out as well. So um, I again, I don't have any reason to to want to go the with the smaller jaw spread. Uh, trap other than just curiosity and see see how that thing works and, and how I like it. But um, the other thing with the TS-85, the, the standard stock pan is pretty average size, and I have used the expanda pans on them. And when you put an expanda pan on a TS-85, it's unbelievable the catch area that you have. Uh, there are a lot of negative uh, people who are negative on expanda pans or on large pans in general, and I will say right now, I am still in the testing phase. I haven't done enough of them to, uh, I've got like, I got a dozen with expanded pans and, and I haven't done enough trapping with them to really be able to say one way or the other, whether they're more effective or less effective. Honestly, I pretty much have caught the same amount of beaver on the standard pans as I have on the expanded pans. So more to come there, just gotta gotta do more and experience more to be able to, to uh, come up with an opinion on that, I personally, just my nature and the way I think about traps, uh, I tend to think more along that Ogorman attitude where the big, bigger is better. Um, I like that larger catch area. I'm not really as worried about the the toe catches or the you know things that people seem to associate with with larger pans. Um, but that's just my nature, and uh, maybe. Other people, other people have different opinions on that. So, uh, the the key is just to try a bunch of different things out, and see what works for you. Um, so the CDR, the seven hundred and fifty, the TS eighty five, those are your standards, and uh, just a couple of more new traps that are just uh, maybe they've been on the market for a while, but I'm just kind of learning about them recently. Uh, Wildlife Control Supplies makes a seven and a half inch jaw spread trap. It's called the WCS Pro seven point five, and uh, it looks like it's it's got the uh, the wire levers just like the CDR. It's four coiled. Um, it it looks like pretty much your standard um, pan and dog setup. Oh, by the way, the TS eighty five is dogless, and so that that is also an important part of that design, where um, for I th- I think the dogless design just eliminates one extra potential. For a beaver to fire a trap without being having a foot in between the jaws, and so the I, I really do like the us, but uh, I, you know, every, every everybody's got a different opinion on that. So, um, the the 750 actually has a really unique dog where it, it kind of it's it's not it's you'll have to look at a picture of it to kind of see it. It's kind of the dog comes up from the the sort of the the wire that's attached to the base plate near the springs uh, and the kind of thing that holds down both jaws. And uh, so the dog is kind of, it has a dog, but it's kind of in the center of the trap and it's not connected to one of the outside jaws. So, so there's a little bit less of an opportunity to have issues with the dog traps in, in that regard, or to have that dog kind of flying up when the trap fires. Uh, but, but yeah, the CDR has your standard dog, although it's a, uh, a Positrip system. And then the TS85 has no dog. The uh, this new uh, Wildlife Control Supplies trap has it, it appears to be similar to the pit system, um, but looks more like a standard dog. I again I haven't used these so I don't know. Um, great guys at Wildlife Control Supplies. One thing I have honestly noticed is is the prices. They cater to a different market. It's mostly the animal damage control type market and the uh, the it's more it's more specialized, and the prices on like your traditional standard trapper stuff seems to be higher. These traps are thirty four dollars um, for for each, so it's uh, I don't I don't know if I'd have any reason to really try that. They might be neat just to check out and see if they uh, if they have any advantages to the others, but I I just don't see any right now. Um, the other one is the No BS Beaver Extreme, another a new, relatively new trap. It looks eerily similar to the TS85 in in the shape, um, and it's uh, it's a it is smaller though. It's got the seven and a quarter inch jaw spread, so it's a little smaller than the CDR and the 750. Um, pretty close. The it the Beaver Extreme is similar to the Canine Extreme, the Canine Extreme Junior, where they've got this block welded to the inside of one of the jaws to uh, accommodate the the dogless pan and the pan sets lower. Um, I don't know. I don't have enough experience with this, but I can really see the advantage of a lower pan on a foothold trap set in a dirt hole set set on the ground on land. I don't know as I see as much advantage to that in water. So, uh, that's something I guess that, uh, other people might have an opinion on. I have to learn a little bit more before I would ever decide, uh, How I feel about that right now, I'm not too psyched about it. Um, What I do know about this strap and the other no BS traps is incredibly, incredibly heavy, heavy duty. Just really super ruggedly built. Quarter inch steel on the frame and and, uh, the base plate and the the jaws. Everything is just bulletproof. I mean, you probably run over it with with a a bulldozer. I don't don't know if you'd have a whole lot of damage to it, (laughs) so... Um, it's it is a really nice looking trap. I mean, those guys must be super professional welders. They just do all these neat things um, to their traps, and they, uh, I, I would be a little bit concerned maybe about getting them stolen. Again, they're 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 27, so I guess they're kind of in the range. They're a little more expensive. Um, they're just they're they're nice looking traps. Um, I, they they. I don't know. I, I think they're worth trying. I, I think they're worth trying. I guess the, the big thing I have to say about the these no BS beaver traps is I really don't know anything about them. I haven't used them. And so I can't form an opinion other than I've used the k canine the, uh, Extreme Junior. And I, I know a little bit about that. The Both the positives and the negatives. I've talked about that before in the podcast. Uh, but overall, like trap quality, they're a really good quality trap. So um, check those out if you're interested. But yeah. That was a rundown, guys. The There are a lot of options. Again, as a recap, you can catch beaver in any one of the traps that I've mentioned tonight. Uh, the, the trick is trying to figure out which one works best for you in your situation. So I hope that helped uh, provide you with a few options if you were kind of trying to figure all that out. If you have other opinions or or similar opinions or whatever... Feel free to send me an email, jrodwood at gmail.com, J-R-O-D-W-O-O-D at gmail.com, and uh, let me know what you think. All right, time for the Cotsbros message of the week. Kotz are in the market still for glands, skunk essence, and beaver caster. So if you're out there catching first, especially if you've got a spring beaver season, um, this is a great opportunity. They're paying for fully dried caster $80 a pound. So uh, that is absolutely the, uh, I mean, and and they're even gonna pay shipping on that as far as I uh, as far as I know. So that's that's a great way to take advantage of these high gland prices. If you do have uh, some animals, some coyotes and and uh, well, they're, they're full up on coyotes, but red fox, bobcat, gray fox, badger, otter, mink, and muskrat. Uh, a lot of spring muskrats out there. Good time to go and trap those. Um, they are they're buying all those and they're paying good prices. So check them out at cotsbros.com, and uh, click on about uh, on the about tab. Go down to blog, and you will find all of the current prices that they're paying and what they they're looking for. And uh, don't forget sign up to that Cotsbros newsletter. And if they have an update to send, you will be notified. All right, guys, let's get out there and set some traps. If you got a season still. Um, even if it's only a couple, go set some beaver muskrat traps, uh, get out and enjoy the outdoors and uh, learn a little bit and have, have some fun. Uh, and if you can't, just keep listening in. So until next time, keep on talking trapping, keep on thinking trapping. We will catch you on the next episode. Whoa, hang on just a second. Stop the presses. Um, this I, I have a quick correction to make before we get done. I was just doing some research before I uh, uploaded this podcast and... The WCS Pro 7.5 Beaver Trap that I talked about, I mentioned that I didn't understand what it offered uh, in it that was better than the CDR or the MB 750. It turns out I'm just showing my lack of knowledge on this. The WCS Pro 7.5 replaced the CDR, so that is essentially the new version of the CDR. And so uh, the pictures it looked like it was a uh, a kind of a semi trip pan. I think it is a really, like a true trip, but it just didn't, the pictures on the on the uh, website just didn't quite do it justice. But anyway, that's what that is. So the CDR, if you want to buy it now, WCS must have bought the rights to that um, and, and are making it now. So just so you know, that's that. And uh, I probably would have got an email of that at some point, but anyway, at least I got one of those corrections out of the way. There's probably a lot more that need to be done but I'm not going to do them so let's finish this episode with a little outro music from Daniel Furman and Feeding Frenzy let's uh, just kind of sample a little song from them and uh, yeah guys enjoy your week catch you next week from the album Positive Vandalism this song is called I Don't Know